Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. So, you know, every week we say this, the Lord's Prayer, and for some folks this can be um, a really comforting thing, like you remember saying this from early on and it's kind of something that you hold on to. For some folks, maybe there's a little bit of church trauma or church hurt that came from uh, a congregation that said this prayer, and certainly if you've been harmed by the church before, um, uh, I'm so grateful that you've chosen New City as a place to check out, and we hope that we are approaching uh, Christianity in a trauma-informed way. Amen. Hallelujah for trauma-informed. Uh, because, well, yeah, because the church be acting a fool. But um, So something that, if you are familiar with this, that you might remember is that um, if you compare the prayer that we say versus what the scripture says. So um, here's the prayer that we say every Sunday, and here's the scripture. And of course, because I'm Tyler Holinsit, I color coordinated it. So these are the, um, if you look at the corresponding parts, each of the parts kind of line up with each other. Now, take a second to look at this. What, what difference do you notice? this. There's no purple! Where's the purple? In the scripture, when Jesus was like, <laughs> uh, here's how to pray, Jesus said one thing, and then in this tradition of a prayer that we have handed down to us, there's this whole other little ending part. The epilogue is different. What happened there? Where's the purple part? Yes, where's the purple part? And, <laughs> and the answer of that, uh, to that is that um, we have a really, really old document, like from like the 100s or 200s of Christianity, called the Didache. The Didache, that's the Greek for Didache, is um, it's like the, one of the oldest documents that we have that arose from the community of the church. So it's not scripture. It's like a separate document that's like, here's how we're going to be together. This is how to do Eucharist. This is how to do the baptism thing. The, and it's one of the first thing, first documents that we have of a catechumen, which is just like kind of an introduction to faith. So it's a very important document. And in the Didache, it says... The purple part, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And so we, as a community of 2,000 years, we're like, you know, if they were saying this by like the 100s or 200s, let's just throw it into the prayer and keep it there. And so that's why we say this last part of the prayer. But I believe that it's not just from, you know, people, archaeologists finding a dusty old thing that says this, that's why we keep it. I believe that there is an important understanding to faith. There's an important um, uh, understanding and posture towards Christ that is really necessary for us to include in our prayers. And so it's not just people doing this for the sake of historic preservation. It's people holding on to this part of the prayer for soulful preservation, for a preservation of who we are as a people and as a community. There's a really important meaning embedded in this. And so that's what we're going to dive into today. And by the way, the Didache was not like this like self-help thing. Like it was not a one-person book. You couldn't just like go to Barnes Noble by yourself and just like 
grab it next to like all the other self-help books about like how to floss and how to, <laughs> how to like take care of your money or whatever. There's the Didache. No, no, no. That's a, like a very Western concept. Rather, the Didache was about community. The Didache was always read in kind of this orbit of community. So people who are new to the community read it in conversation with people who were old to the community, people who were doubtful of the faith read it with people who were like, yeah, I've experienced those doubts. I've been down that road before. Like it was always a conversation in community because Christianity was always a communal religion. There is no one player mode in Christianity. And so like this was always the emphasis. And, and I think that as we look at our prayer life, we have to understand that there are impacts both for who we are as people and for who we are as community. We have to look at what is it doing in your soul individually and what is this rendering in our community? And we've seen this throughout the sermon series, right? And so, uh, so we're exploring the question today, what happens to a person in prayer? What happens in a person who prays? Um, when you are praying, when you get past the like, wow, this feels awkward, when you get past the, um, I'm, I'm just gonna recite rote words that mean nothing to me, I might as well be saying pepperoni, pizza, Coca-Cola, amen. Like when you get past the, the um, kind of like superficiality of prayer and you start to truly settle in, when you start to really open yourself up to a connection with the infinite design, divine in the world, who designed all of creation, who designed your soul to reach back to God, when you really get in that moment, like, what actually happens? And, I mean, I have my answers, but of course, like, you all, as a community, weighed in on Circle about what type of change prayer was making in your life. So we heard from Circle um, people who said things like, you know, noticing uh, I'm noticing in myself an increased sense of peace and well-being, intentional journal prayer daily. Through this journaling practice, there's a little bit of this cultivation of peace. Somehow when we are encountering the Prince of Peace, we are able to find peace within ourselves. Somehow when we take time away to encounter a God of the infinite universe, it helps us step out of our individual small concerns that seem to take up our whole lives. We also heard from people that silence has a silence has a sound that is full and rejuvenating. Wind emoji, sparkle emoji. My prayer for all of you is that you might embody the wind emoji and the sparkle emoji in your life, amen. Um, and and I love that. I love that this practice is a time where uh, we get to enjoy and savor silence because what other part of our society is encouraging us to slow down? What other part of our society is encouraging us to listen to silence? And there's something lost there. And so I love, love, love to hear this. Um, we also heard from people, I'm in a particularly, oh, this is seminary, you know this is a seminary person. I'm in a particularly imprecatory prayer mode this week, which is to say yelling at God because I have no words. Okay, so um, imprecatory is a, is a literary tradition in the Psalms where basically people just like rail at God <laughs> and they're like really mad at God and they're really mad at their enemies and they like curse their enemies. So there are Psalms, not the Psalms that you'll see embroidered on pillows, but there are Psalms that are like, I just wish you'd just smash the heads of all of my enemies. And it's like... <laughs> 
Yeah, we're probably not going to put that like a, on a banner at the front of the church, but like that's part of our tradition. The imprecatory tradition is part of our way of saying that you can bring your difficult emotions to God. And this is what we heard from Siobhan last week. Like, no matter what your heart is feeling, no matter how much uh, uh, deep resentment that you feel from God, no matter how much you feel betrayed by God or anxious about the future, or unsure about what is coming next, like, God wants to hear about that in prayer. And we have proof of that because the people who wrote the Bible are getting all into it. So, um, and, and speaking of which, like, uh, what I love about these... Um, these insights from prayer is that they're deeply connected to our spiritual ancestors. And so in each of these insights, we're hearing kind of these echoes of Amos the prophet who said, we must practice peace. And boy, is there a week that we needed to hear this more than this week, that we have to practice peace. We hear from Elijah, our spiritual ancestor, who is like, there is a, a, a small whisper in the silence that is the voice of God that somehow speaks over storms and wildfires. We connect to Deborah, who had a prayer that was like, God, could you just like kill all the people I don't like? And it's like, okay, Deborah, I see you. But it's like, the point isn't that that God is like a vending machine that's like, I'm going to ask you to kill people and now I'm killing people. But rather that we're practicing emotional honesty with God because if we can't even be honest with our creator, how in the world are we going to be honest with everyone else? Can I get an amen <laughs> up in here? <laughs> that's a RuPaul's Drag Race reference. So like how in the world are we going to be able to practice an authentic faith if we can't even be authentic with God who's trying to listen to us, right? So, like, I, I just love the imprecatory tradition. And it, I think it also shows how much we're trusting God. And this is where we get to kind of the end of the prayer, that for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. What we're saying is, like, God, I have in my heart that I just want to, like, stomp this person in my life right now or, like, say words that I will regret later but thine is the power, thine is the kingdom, thine is the glory. And that's a way of saying like, God, I'm identifying my true emotions, I'm getting in touch with myself, and I'm offering the, uh, uh, the power to you because I bet the creator of the universe is, has better ideas than, than little shade fairy me. So like that's kind of like the goal of, of prayer is like to be as emotionally honest as possible while also being open to God doing something in your life. Um, so like I guess something that is uh, really speaking to me right now and in my understanding of prayer is I um, decided to learn start learning Cantonese. Uh, and uh, Cantonese is the language that my uh, ancestry speaks. My dad speaks Cantonese. I never learned Cantonese. Like my siblings and I, we just kind of felt like, you know, let's, let's just uh, start getting into a little bit of our ancestral language just to see what it's like to engage in this. And um, are there any, like, Mandarin or Cantonese speakers, by the way? Okay, so um, that's less embarrassing for me. Okay, that's great. <laughs> so, like, so, so Chinese is a tonal language. Do you know this? Like, so it means, like, if you say the same thing in different inflections, it changes the meaning of the word, which is kind of true in um, English, but not formally. Like, if someone's like, um, how's my parking job? And you go, it's all right. It's, it conveys something different from, how's my parking job? 
it's all right. Like, you know how that kind of like changes it? So that's like codified into a language and that's called Chinese. So, um, so here's a, just a little, um, I, I grabbed a video from my class that I'm taking. This is um, Cantonese class 101. And just, this is, this, is the, uh, this is the different tones. Okay, ready for this? There are six tones in Cantonese. C, 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 C. What? <laughs> what? No. No. We're just gonna listen to that one more time, and I want you to try to say say the say the differences as it comes out. Okay, so we're gonna listen to it, then try to say it. There are six tones in Cantonese. Okay, so um, so it's like really intense, right? And it's like for someone who has not um, been practicing speaking this language, it's like, wow, this is like a type of nuance that my brain has never had to notice before. But you know what I found really helpful in uh, learning Cantonese is there was um, some people made a graphic illustration of it. And so now, so these are the tones. You see how, so it's like you're reading a staff of music. And now listen to it again, reading, uh, reading the graph. Oops. Um, so like, the, I, so I don't have the video embedded in this one, but like the idea is like, sometimes if, if, Sometimes you look at something or hear something that is so complex and nuanced that you're like, I can't even really understand what is going on right now. But you can make tools to be able to differentiate and navigate the nuance of this. And the reason why this is relevant to prayer, the reason why prayer kind of feels like learning a language, because if you, especially on those hard days, if you look at your soul, it kind of... There are six tones oh, now in it's Cantonese. Working. So if you're looking at your C, soul... Okay, here we go. C, 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 C. Okay, so like, do you see how the graphics does help a little bit? It's like still hard, but it's like, okay, maybe I can do this. And similarly, like, as we're looking at our soul, let's say that your soul is in the shape of a hexagon, because <laughs> what other shape would it be? Um, that it can kind of feel kind of stormy inside. And in fact, um, it, there's kind of like a lot of, um, of complicated layers in a, in, a, in, a, uh, in a soul. Like, there's a lot of, like, nuances and wants and desires. There's a lot of inner things going on that might be hard to, to express or understand if you're new to this. And in fact, sometimes our inner lives are so complicated and messy that we don't like to spend much time in our inner life because it's so difficult. And so we kind of, like, you know, yeah, you know the things that you do when you're avoiding things, like uh, overproduce or overwork we pour into relationships in inappropriate and codependent ways. You know, we um, uh, are like moody and, and self-extract from situations and, um, and we're not really sure what's going on inside, but it feels big and it feels scary. This is why also uh, people, especially nowadays, are so uncomfortable with 
silence because anytime that there's silence, you kind of have to like be with yourself. And, and sometimes being with your own soul is hard because it feels like there's some chaos. It feels like, how am I even ever going to understand this? And what I love about um, prayer and the tradition of faith is that it's like the little, it's like the lines of learning Cantonese where it's like, you know, I'm starting to recognize my soul a little bit. With enough prayer, I'm starting to get to know my relationship with God. I'm starting to catch myself in my unhelpful patterns, okay? I'm starting to notice when my heart feels like this, sometimes that means God is saying this. And so during this prayer sermon series, we also talked about four different types of prayer. Supplication, which is like when we're asking God for something. And so we start to recognize in our prayer life, like sometimes when I deeply desire or long for something, that supplication energy is there. And we start to recognize supplication. There's adoration, which is just like the awe of God. Like if you've ever been in front of a waterfall or seen uh, a new child, like alive. It's like, oh my gosh, I feel so much awe. That's that kind of like adoration feeling. And so when our hearts feel that adoration, we can, we can know what to do in prayer. There's confession, which is like, hey, I did something that I'm not proud of or something that continues to haunt me and I'm confessing it to God. I'm putting it back into the compost pile, right? Supplication, Thanksgiving, confession. Uh, nope. Uh, supplication, adoration, confession, and then thanksgiving, which is just like pure gratitude. Like, wow, look at all the things in my life. And when you spend enough time in prayer, you start to understand the contours of your soul and what type of prayer God is inviting you to. And the juicy part is that once you start praying the prayer that your soul most longs to pray for, then you start connecting to God in an authentic and meaningful way. And then all of a sudden, there's kind of this like, I don't know how to describe it. It's like a circuit of energy or somehow like you're a little bit more alive or a little bit more true to yourself. It's like prayer is like this conduit to God that's like this energy or power source that is beyond you that is like, it's not just that you're extracting from God, but like you're offering your blessings to God and then you receive it back. This is why I asked Ev to sing and the band uh, to sing that song about like, it's God's breath in our lungs, and so we pour praise back to God. We receive from God, and we pour praise back to God. And the stronger that loop is, the better life is. The truer to yourself you are, the, the more authentic and real life feels. It doesn't mean that life won't be hard. It doesn't mean that there won't be suffering. And it doesn't mean that the storm doesn't go away. It just means that like, there, you know that you're not alone in the struggle, even when you're in your own silence. That's what prayer does. And something that I think is a really important thing to understand about prayer, and, and we see this in the scripture today, is that prayer is not like I'm thinking about something and now I'm done and I'm just gonna, you know, and then you walk away. Like whenever people comment like, oh, my thoughts and prayers are with you, 
you know, and that kind of means, that's kind of shorthand for like, hey, I feel bad for you. I thought about you once. Okay. <laughs> you know, like sometimes it's like a proxy for like actually doing something <laughs> when it's like my thoughts and prayers are with you. So I'm definitely not going to call my elected official to change the policy that resulted in this tragedy. And I'm <laughs> that keeps happening again and again. You know, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. That's not, that's not, um, what prayer is. Whenever I hear thoughts and prayers as a, a replacement of action, I know that there's a deep misunderstanding of what prayer is. <laughs> Nowhere in the Bible is like, God, um, here are prayers and now I'm going to do nothing. Like, there, God is kind of an engaged God. That whole circuit of energy thing is like, sometimes we pray and God gives us a certain type of energy to make a difference, to show up to our community, to fill the streets, to call the person who you've been meaning to call for so long and you've been putting it off and God's like, it's time now. It's time. And like, that is the type of, of rendering that happens in prayer. Prayer doesn't prevent action. Rather, prayer cultivates right action. Prayer is the thing that allows you to um, act not just from a place of reaction, you know what I'm saying? But being proactive. As, let me break that down. So it's not just like, wow, this person did something mean to me, and so now I feel bad, and so I'm just going to go off my impulses and be mean back to them. Like, that's that kind of, like, reaction back quick, quick, quick. Prayer is an interruption to that, uh, to that whole process, that circuit, that pattern, and is instead saying, let's reconnect with the God of the universe, let's reconnect with the creator so that we can move a little bit more aligned with God's hope for the world. This is how we stop cycles of death and tragedy in our lives, by allowing God to be our resurrection energy. It's kind of like, you know, Howard Thurman says, your freedom is between stimulus and response. Your freedom lives between stimulus and response. So when something happens in your life, when something bad happens in your life, your freedom is deciding to pray in that moment before you respond, because that prayer is what will shift your life even subtly towards resurrection. And that's kind of what we're trying to get at here, is, is how to change your life so that your life can look a little bit more like uh, like the life of Jesus and so that you might be connected to God. But it's never just an individualistic uh, endeavor. Uh, prayer is always meant to happen in community. And so look at this community of like, you know, everyone's kind of their own swirling little storm of different colors. <laughs> the Enneagram describes nine different colors of what type of nightmare storm we all have inside of us. And the <laughs> our faith shows us nine ways that God meets those storms, redeems even the most corrupt and scary parts of our lives, and turns that into something good. And so the perfectionist becomes a, a, a reformer in the world. And so the codependent, scary, no boundaries person becomes a loving, uh, a loving community builder. And so the overachiever becomes the cheerleader for the rest of the community. And so the angsty, stuck in their own stuff kind of person becomes a true artist. And so the extractionist, um, a solitary, hiding away from people becomes the true expert. I can keep going, but do you understand what, what I'm saying? Like, 
there, through community, we can all kind of participate in a holy transformation together. It's the true miracle of our times that for free, in one space, we can transform each other without having to um, be beholden to our consumerism and our individualism. Uh, yeah, so communal prayer cultivates communal right action. And we saw this in the sermon series again. Like, did y'all hear about um, the anti-trans legislation that's coming up? Oh my gosh, oh, so devastating. And so we heard in circle um, and I, I should also offer a, a trigger warning for folks who identify as trans or for whom this is a sensitive topic. But we heard in circle about legislation being brought up in Alabama that would criminalize uh, parents allowing their children to express a different gender, like turn it into a crime, a chargeable offense. And we have someone in Alabama who's like, hey, I would really like some prayer around this. And as a community, we were all like, yeah, we're going to, like, this is the thing that we're going to pray for. And I know that some folks, uh, like, have even, like, written legislators and, and um, there's, like, a similar thing happening in Texas. And I got a message about, like, we got to do something about this. And it's like, okay, let's act. And that's what communal prayer does is, like, when we can really interrupt the, the um, this stimulus reaction, when we can really interrupt that with prayer, we can really say, who are we going to be in this, in this chapter of history? Who is God calling us to be in this geopolitical moment where there's a ton of stuff going on? How are we going to show up to the world so that when our descendants are talking about this era, how will, how will we as a community be remembered? What is the lineage that we are setting in place? What is the, the society that we're handing, at, handing off to the next generation who is literally going Going to be inheriting so much stuff from us and it's like communal prayer allows us to heal our society because it allows right action and that is what I'm in it for that's what I want to be a person of faith about not just so that I can do this little self-help of feels good thing which is true but also because I want to create a world that's a lot better so that the kids in our community can live into something that's a lot more hopeful and bright than what we're seeing right now and I believe that God is not abandoning us in this effort. God is showing up to our lives to figure out how on, on a day-to-day -day basis we can slowly shape our society towards something renewed and good, even as a lot of struggle and suffering is along the way. It's going to be a lot of work, but then again, what else is there? <laughs> It's going to take effort, but then again, like what cause could be more worthwhile than, than healing and resurrecting the world with God? This is what I'm in for. So um, may this sermon series continue to bless you. May the practice of prayer continue to connect you to a God who loves you so much. And may you slowly, like, as if you're learning another language, be able to recognize your soul a little bit more so that every day is a little bit more filled with God's goodness. Amen? Amen. Amen.